0: Invite you, if you would, to take your Bibles and turn back to that Gospel of John passage in chapter 14. We've been looking at worst-case scenarios. You looked in the worst-case scenario survival handbook, page 91, you would find that you are in the emergency section, which I'll tell you up front is not a good place to be. And the one chapter in particular in that section is how to use a defibrillator. To restore a heartbeat it says in the instructions use the defibrillator to deliver a powerful electrical shock to the heart and then it goes on to tell you how there are two paddles and you put these pads you put on the chest of the person and then it, you probably already know the drill you move away and you say clear and, and they shock them right it says use only for an SCA which is sudden cardiac arrest, and then obviously followed by CPR. A little notation at the bottom says, be aware that a person experiencing a sudden cardiac arrest will stop breathing, their pulse will slow or even stop at times, and consciousness will be lost. I remember back a number of years ago that in the very back row uh, uh, we're having a faith christian school chapel and one of our parents in fact her picture pat totero is if you walk down the hallway with all the pictures of individuals that robert wood johnson her picture is on there because of this event she was sitting back there during a chapel and or maybe it was an award ceremony and she had a heart attack and I remember that some of our own people, we had a couple nurses on hand, they went back, we have a defibrillator right outside the main doors for the school, and they grabbed it and they used it. I remember that vividly. I mean, people were, as you can imagine, scared and, and, and not realizing everything that's going on, and they used that and shocked. and she obviously lived through that. But I remember how necessary it was and how important it was to be able to have that defibrillator and how it meant. Ne- the difference between life and death for Pat Titero. In our text, the disciples are having a spiritual cardiac arrest. And it's mentioned because it really frames the passage that we're looking at. And that's why I had to read verses 1 through 6 and verse 27. Because the little phrase that kind of is the uh, bookend for this section begins in verse 1 and then also is the end of verse 27. And it's repeated. It says this. Let not your hearts... Be troubled. Do you see that in verse 1? Also, look at the end of verse 27 in your scriptures. Jesus says at the end of that verse, let not your hearts be troubled. See, it's repeated, neither let them be afraid. And so Jesus says, I know the disciples, what you're going through, in fact, eight times in chapter 14 and 16, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm good, I'm gonna go. Or, I am going. Five of those eight times are in chapter 14, verse 2, 3, 4, 12, and 28. Jesus says, I'm going to go, I'm going to leave you. Now, imagine, if it, it may be hard for you to imagine, but the disciples have been following Jesus around for three plus years. He is their rabbi. And when you become someone's disciple and they're your rabbi, you want to be with them all the time. I mean, there's even stories in rabbinic literature of of uh, disciples sleeping under their rabbi's bed and, and, and just trying to eat like they... And your goal as the disciple was to be with your master and most of all be like your master. And imagine literally the horror and the complete shock and, can I say, the spiritual heart attack... When after three years, Jesus tells them all of a sudden, at least to them, that he's going to leave them. Now, he means he's leaving them via the cross, that he's going to die on the cross, be raised again, and ascend back to the Father. But at this point, they don't grasp all of that. For them, being with Jesus meant that they could face anyone and anything. There wasn't a question that he couldn't answer. There wasn't a sickness or a disease or a demon that he couldn't handle. I mean, there wasn't a need that any person ever had, physically, spiritually, emotionally, material. Jesus could meet it. Even one time, he got a fish, a, a coin out of the fish mouth to be able to pay the tax. I mean, Jesus could do any anything. He could help anyone. He could handle any situation. But now, what would they do without him? Maybe more importantly, why would they have to do without him? So they're going to have a spiritual cardiac arrest and what they're going to need is what I call the discipleship defibrillator. They're going to need shocked spiritually to get their heart going again because of the traumatic situation that they think that they are facing. Maybe you're here this morning perhaps not out loud, but recently you've had some emergency situations of your own and perhaps in those situations you've said in your heart this is not what I planned. I mean this isn't how it was all supposed to work out. And I'm imagining the disciples thought that too. I mean, they're thinking Jesus is going to become the king. He's going to defeat the Romans. I mean, they're thinking this is how it's supposed to be. And they have this whole scenario all placed in their mind and set. So they know this is how it's supposed to be. And now Jesus says he's going to leave them. See, this wasn't how they thought it would work. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. You might be here and say, I never really saw those blockages in our marriage. I really never thought that our marriage would end up like this. I didn't expect my career to take that turn. I I never saw myself unemployed. Promoted, yes. Advanced in the corporation, yes. But unemployed, without a job, I never saw that. That's not how I thought it would end up for me. Maybe you've been to the literal ER room. And you might say... I really wasn't prepared, Pastor Walker, to hear the doctor say, You might have cancer. I really wasn't ready to experience the health issues, the chronic health issues I'm facing. And you're shocked. And you be, you're bewildered. And in your heart and your mind, you're thinking, Well, what am I supposed to do now? Just like the disciples, what are we supposed to do now? If Jesus leaves, what are we going to do? Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. Here's what Jesus says. In your worst case scenario, in your spiritual cardiac arrest, here's what he says. Trust. Trust me. It's hard to trust when there's trouble, isn't it? The word trouble in our text means agitated. It means disquieted. It is the opposite of peace. With it, and Jesus mentions it, With this trouble always comes fears, and many of them, anxieties, emotional turmoil, uncertainty. For Thomas, it meant doubt. But Jesus has the discipleship defibrillator, and he's going to restore their hearts. And here's why he can. Can I tell you before before I tell you how he does it, can I tell you that he can do it? Here's why. Listen, because Jesus knows heart trouble himself five times in John's gospel this very word trouble is used two of them are said by Jesus three of them are said of Jesus in John 11:33 Jesus is at the tomb of his friend Lazarus and Lazarus has died and the Bible says when he got to the tomb Jesus was troubled Jesus was having a heart attack in the sense that it bothered him. It agitated him. It disquieted him. It it, it disturbed him that his friend Lazarus had been defeated in some sense by death. In chapter 12 and verse 27, it says the Bible says that when Jesus contemplated the cross and all that he was going to have to go through us, he was troubled in his spirit. It was a very hard thing for the God-man. To look at the cross and the shame and the suffering and, 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 the, and the eternal weight of sin that he would bear for you and I. And when he looked at that, the Bible says he was troubled. Chapter 13 and verse 21 says that thinking of Judas's betrayal and Peter's denial, it says it troubled Jesus as he said at the Last Supper with his disciples. You see, Jesus, can I tell you this morning, he understands your worst-case scenarios. He understands your heart attacks, your spiritual cardiac arrest. He not only can fix them and help you with them, he understands them because he's exper- he knows what it's like to lose a friend in death. He knows what it's like to face overwhelming circumstances, i.e. the cross, He knows exactly what it's like to experience a failed relationship with someone, Judas, when he betrays him. See, Jesus, can I say, is not only sovereign in your worst case scenario, he is sympathetic. He's not only God, but he's also man in them. He's not only transcendent, he is imminent. He's not only all-powerful. But he's also all-caring and all-loving. Jesus, in the middle of his worst-case scenario, his deeply loves you in the middle of yours. So how is it then? How is it that Jesus can restore your heartbeat in your worst-case scenario? Well, there's two paddles, if I could put it in that way to you. If Jesus is going to use a defibrillator, there's two paddles. The first paddle is the paddle of his presence. And that is verses 1 through 6 in chapter 14. Literally, the verse says, not troubled your heart. See, the emphatic part of the sentence in the original language is on not letting it be troubled. Not troubled. In fact, literally, because of the kind of word it is, you could say Jesus is saying, stop it. (laughs) And that's pretty audacious, isn't it? I mean, they're going through the worst case scenario of their lives. I mean, in verses 36 through 38, Jesus says, you can't follow me right now. There's going to be a time where you can't follow me. Peter is so adamant as a lead disciple because if anyone wanted to follow Jesus, it was him. I mean, he followed him out of the boat into the water, even though he said, listen, that's what disciples do. That's what Peter is all about. And when Jesus says to him, you can't follow me, he doesn't grasp it. And then when Jesus adds to that, then only will you not be able to follow me now, you're going to deny me. I mean, it blows his mind. I mean, the bottom drops out of his world. And Jesus says in the middle of that emotional mess, stop it. Don't let your heart be troubled. And you could almost hear Jesus say, clear. Let me shock you back and let your heart beat. Jesus says, I'm here. I'm still here. Even though Judas is going to betray us and me and Peter's going to deny me, here's what I want you to know. That even though I'm leaving now, I will always be with you. So he says, stop having a heart attack. Trust me. And can I tell you, here's why you can trust me. Jesus wants to do this in your mind this morning. Can you look? Here's what he wants to do. He wants to secure your future. See, when you're going through difficulty right now, one of the most stable anchoring things that can take place in your life is that even though today is miserable and today is difficult and today's the worst day, listen, if you know it will get better, if you know that there is a future and that future is secure, it helps you to get through through those things you're going through today. So here's what he says to them. In my father's house are many dwellings or rooms. And then to confirm it, he says, and if it were not so, I would have told you. In other words, what I'm telling you is absolutely true. In the Middle East, when a daughter got married, they didn't move away like they do today, often to different places. They would move in. And so they would build an additional room onto the father's house. And the parents would live there. And then the daughter would move in with her new husband. Sounds good, Mackenzie, doesn't it? So, see, that's what happened. They didn't move away to a new city, get a job. No, they moved in. They just built another room onto it. And here's what Jesus wants you to know. In my father's house, lots of rooms. All of you can fit there. In fact, the only other time in John's Gospel, Jesus says my father's house, in chapter 2, he's talking about the temple and how they made it a den of thieves. Father's house, the temple, it's where his presence is. It's where God dwells. And here's what Jesus says. Yeah, I'm going away and I'm going to die on the cross. But I want you to know there's a purpose in that. That I'm leaving you and it's breaking your heart. But let me tell you this. What's happening now has a future security to it. I'm going to bring you to my father's house. I'm going to take you to heaven. In my father's house where his presence dwells, there are all kinds of rooms for everyone. Now let me tell you this. This is a major theme all throughout the Bible. Since the Garden of Eden... See, we have been kicked out of God's presence because of our sin. Adam and Eve rejected God. They disobeyed his word, and they were put out of the Garden of Eden. There was an angel, a cherubim with a flaming sword. We cannot come back into his presence. And ever since that time, God has worked out his plan through the Old Testament up until the time of Jesus, and where it climaxes, that he is bringing us back. Jesus wants you to come home for Christmas. Home to where he is, to dwell with him. And it's no wonder in John 18 that to bring you back took another garden. But this is a garden in reverse. And Jesus is in the Garden of Eden. And that garden leads to a cross. And that's why the temple veil was rent in twain, because now we can come home. In fact, in this very chapter, John 14, here's what Jesus says to them. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Isn't it great to know this? No matter what you face today, Jesus is going to be there for you. See, he has a home for you. You will not be homeless, not if you know Jesus. You will not be homeless. There is room, and it's got your name on it, in the Father's house. And he says, and you can be assured of that. I've got room for you there. That's the security that you face. In fact, Jesus wants to say it one more time in chapter 14 and verse 23. He says, if you obey my word, my father and I, listen, we will come and make our home with you. Look at verse 23. I'll make my home with you. It's the same word room. My dwelling with you. He says, not only can you be in my house, but you can be with me. See, that's what we need. When you're facing your worst case scenario, here's what you need to know. You need to know the paddle of God's presence. That paddle and that shock to know this. Hey, things are really bad right now. And as you look around in your life, you may say, Pastor Walker, you're absolutely right. You probably don't even know the details. But it's strong right now in my life. Can I tell you this? You need to be shocked back into your heartbeat for God because he's here. He's with you. And let me tell you this, and he always will be because you have a secure future with him. But you might be here this morning and say, Pastor Walker, how, how do I get to the father's house? Thomas was confused about it in verse 4. He says, listen, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? They did know where he was going. They had told him many times, but they didn't grasp it in their emotional state and their lack of understanding he told them he was going to the cross, but they didn't get it. And so Jesus tells them in no uncertain terms the verse that we all love. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, that's how you get a home in heaven. Did you know that? Jesus doesn't really just point to the way. He doesn't just tell you a truth. He doesn't just offer to give you life. Did you know the verb? notice the verb? He is those things. He doesn't just offer them or give them. He is them, personified. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. You see, there is no other way. If you put in your GPS, if there was such a spiritual GPS, and you put the Father's house in it, you know what? There would be only one route. No, we get alternative route, you can take this and you can bypass the tolls and you can get there a little faster and you can take a shortcut, so to speak. There are no shortcuts to the Father's house. There are all no, no alternative routes. You don't have to worry about too much traffic, and there won't be any detours that you'll have to worry about. Because here's what Jesus says: I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, He isn't just the key to the He doesn't just have the key to the Father's house. He is the key. He is the key. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said. I am the way. And if you know me, see, you know the Father. And there's a connection, Jesus says. You have to have a connection to get into the Father's house. Do you? Do you have that connection by faith? Have you ever put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? See, if you don't, then see, not only are things hectic now and you're panicking now, but see, there's an even greater problem because not only is it bad now, but you have to worry about your future, your eternity And if that's unsettled, that only magnifies everything that you're going through now. But it doesn't have to be that way. The disciples could have the paddle shock them back in their heartbeat. You know why? Because of God's presence with them through Jesus, that they could be forever in his house. That brought them security but like everybody else, I'm sure you're thinking and asking, and they were too. That's fantastic. No one wants to downplay the future. No one wants to downplay a house and and a home in heaven with God. I mean, that's fantastic, but you're still thinking in your mind, what about now? I mean, I'm so grateful that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, but I'm still facing cancer now. I'm still not sure how I'm going to pay the bills now. You know, I want to have children, and I can't, and What am I supposed to do with that? I mean, is that the the way it is for me the rest of my life? What do I do with that? There are two paddles, remember? The first one is God's presence. The second one is God's peace. This one's for the future. This one's for the present. And so Jesus says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you. You could say in Hebrew, shalom. Peace. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Jesus doesn't want to just secure your future, although that is super helpful. I mean, don't we say that at funerals? I mean, we, we lose, we're not with our loved ones any longer. They've died, and, and we say this, they've gone to be with Jesus, and we know what, we're going to see them again. Doesn't that help? That, that's changed everything, doesn't it? But we still cry now, and we still have a burden now, and we certainly miss them now. So what do you do in those types of circumstances? See, Jesus says, I'm offering you something right now, not just down the road. Now, and you know what it is? My peace. But listen, it's not just any kind of peace. Jesus is very careful throughout these chapters to put the pronoun in front of so many different things. My father, my disciples, my commandments, my word, my joy. See, when you go to ShopRite, you can get the ShopRite brand of things. And you pay less, you get the generic brand, the over-the-counter kind of stuff. What Jesus is talking about is the stuff with his name on it. This is not just any kind of peace, this is a Jesus kind of peace. This is only prescribed, you can only get this from the one doctor, right, and, and that's God. He said, this is the kind of peace, and if you go cheap, you're going to regret it. And people go cheap on peace all the time. And they think that they can find it in the bottom of a bottle, or the end of a needle, or in someone else's bed, or a bigger bank account. They hope they'll find it in all the things they dreamed about in life turning out the way they thought that they would. And see, what they want is they think that they can get peace from those things. But see, they're just cheap substitutes. They're not really the name brand Jesus peace. And Jesus warns us about settling for less, settling for substitutes. In fact, the word world is used 41 times in just John 13 through 17. And Jesus says in 1633, of this very book, in the world you will have tribulation, but in me you will have peace. See, the world offered in Jesus' time what was called in Latin Pax Romana. It was the emperor's version of peace. It was peace because you do what I tell you to do as the emperor, and if you don't, I enforce it with military might. That was their version of peace. It was the power over kind of peace. It was the peace that as long as you do what I say, I won't have to kill you kind of peace. Jesus' peace is far different than that. It's not a power over, it's a power under peace. It's not a peace that comes from a sword in your hand, but nails in your hand. That's a different kind of peace. I mean, radically different kind of peace. It's not based on what is going on around you, but what's going on within you. See, it's not external, it's internal. It's a fear-calming peace. It's a peace that doesn't eliminate problems. It is a peace in the middle of your problems. So Jesus can say, let not your heart be troubled. And In verse 27, he can add this, and don't let it be afraid either. Don't be fearful of it. It doesn't, let me tell you this, peace is not just this settled feeling on the inside. No, no, no. It's not just a feeling. In fact, it is not even primarily a feeling, although that may accompany at times. It is a action word. See, it's not just a calmness, it's a confidence. And what does it look like when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? The Bible says in John eighteen four that Jesus, listen to this, knowing all the things that would happen to him, How they would arrest him, beat him, spit on him, pluck his beard out, whip him, flog him, crucify him, reject him. He knew all the things that were going to... Here's what it says. He got up and went forward. He did not wait for the soldiers to come to him. He went to them. That's Jesus' peace. Peace says, I don't just cower out and, and get away from all my trials and hope they go away. No, I can face them. I can face the cancer. I can face the difficulty and the financial problems. I can face the spiritual struggles. You know why? Because of Jesus' peace. Jesus' peace that's inside of me. See, I can face health issues and marriage issues and dead-end jobs and not having the ability to have children and ministry opposition. See, I can do all of those things. But you won't do it by having a mug that says, Keep calm and something on the outside. Keep calm and no worst-case scenarios. No, that's not the calm he's talking about. It's a different kind of peace. See, this kind of peace in Jesus' darkest hours gave him a confidence on the inside that made its way to the outside. And can I tell you this? It can do that in your darkest hours, too. Jesus said in 1633, In me, in me, you will have peace. Listen, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. And by the way, if you're a Christian, that's both. We are in the world, so expect tribulation. Don't be shocked by it. Don't be surprised by it. Jesus says, let me clear. Let me tell you this. You need the paddle of peace. Why? Because you're going to have tribulation inside this church and outside this church. You're going to have it. You are. He says, but be of good cheer. Or let me tell you this. He says this, but take heart. See, he goes. Let me just shock you one more time. Let me just get a hold of your heart one more time. Take heart, Boop, clear. I have overcome the world. Victory, oh, whoa, 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 but not victory because I defeated my enemies, not because I routed them, but because I loved them and gave my life for them. See, it's a different kind of peace, isn't it? Five times, and I'll close with this. In John's gospel, the word peace is used. And the last three of them, the two that you already know I've mentioned, 1427 and 1633, the last three, if you'll turn there, is chapter 20. Jesus has died and has been resurrected. And now he appears to the disciples. And if you want to see how... When you are shocked by the paddles of presence and peace, how that really looks in your life, here's a case study from the disciples. They are, in this scenario, in verses 19 through 26, they are hiding behind doors. Verse 19 and verse 26 have the same phrase. They were, the doors were locked. And it tells us exactly why. Verse 19, because they were afraid of the Jews. They said, well, you took our master. Guess who's next on the list? It's us. So the worst case scenario of Jesus leaving them and he's been resurrected. But you think all the worst case scenario fears are gone? They're not. They're not. And so Jesus comes to the disciples in verse 19. Look at it. Verse 21 and verse 16, 26. And he says three times, just imagine you're in the ER room clear and they have to put the dial to a stronger and clear again and a third time i mean he has to do it three times to him why because we need that at times but every time he says to them peace peace be with you peace be with you peace be with you you see for thomas he wasn't there for one of those or two of those and so he's still doubting so finally, in the last episode, when Jesus puts the paddles out and wants to give him the peace shocker, Thomas is finally there. And for the second time in the text, Jesus says, look. He says, look at my hands. See them? And then see my side. See, and be, he says, and don't be without faith. Believe. But what was the evidence that you could have peace? Jesus said, hey, don't worry about the Jewish guy. I got them covered. No, he didn't say that. I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to say it. No, he didn't say that. You know what he says? In the middle of your fears, when you think you're surrounded, and when you think you can't go on, and you think this is it for you, here's what he says. Peace. And you know how you can have it? He says, take a look. Can I tell you this? Peace through peace. Scars. It doesn't come without them. It comes with them. And you might be here this morning, and the peace that you're looking for may not be the peace that Jesus offers. He doesn't offer a peace without scars. He doesn't offer a peace at times without suffering or sacrifice. But He wants you to know this even though it's peace with scars, He wants you to know there's not a door that's locked that I can't come through, <laughs> right? So you may be locking your doors out of fear, Jesus says, don't worry, I can come through that door. There's no hurdle, there's no obstacle, there's no difficulty that I can't handle. That's the kind of peace that Jesus wants to give. See, those are the two paddles. If you'll, if you'll let him shock you with them, if feel will the, the paddle of his presence and his peace, see, that's what you need. Not because he's going to rescue you from all the problems. No, he's going to be with you in all the problems, see. And they went from hiding out to speaking out in just a very few days. How? They got Jesus' peace. In your worst case scenario, in your darkest hour, that's what he offers you today. He wants to shock your spiritual heart back into beating again for him. And here's, just remember my presence. Your future is secure. And remember my peace that I've got right now under control as well. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, we're gonna close our service with a worship chorus and Christ alone in just a few moments. And that's what we really need. This is the, if I can say it reverently, this is the final and greatest tool of your survival kit. You need Jesus. <laughs> you need Jesus. And perhaps with every head bowed, you're here this morning, and you say, Pastor Walker, listen, I'm struggling so much right now. It sure would be nice to know, wouldn't it? That my eternal home is secure? Because I can get through a lot here if I know that's secure. But maybe you don't have that confidence and assurance based on God's word and the work of Jesus. But I'd like to know him today by faith. I'd like to recognize, I, I need to recognize that he is Lord of all. And that he died on the cross and rose again to pay the penalty for my sins. He's my only hope. See, he is the way, the tr- not a way, not one of many, the only one. Perhaps God brought you here today and the Holy Spirit's been talking to you through his word, speaking to your heart. I need to trust Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and life. See, I can't get to the Father's house without him. I need to put my trust. See, Pastor Walker, with every head bowed, here's my hand. Pray for me. I need to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'll do that before we close in a moment. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you, young lady. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? See ya, thank you. Anyone else? Before I move on, just for a moment, would you, can I do this? If you raise your hand and you need Jesus, can I just challenge you, encourage you? I'm not the Holy Spirit, but let me, you raise your hand and we're gonna, would you just come forward at the end? I mean, don't even hesitate. I mean, don't put it off for another week. You come and find Jesus to be your life. To give everything to him. He gave everything for you. Would you just do that in a moment? I just want to challenge you to let the Holy Spirit of God move in your heart to do that today. Perhaps you're here as a believer and you need that discipleship defibrillator. I mean, the worst case scenario, it's difficult. And I am thankful, so thankful, that I have a home in heaven. That that's secure. But Pastor Walker, I'll tell you right now, I need that peace. And I've been thinking and defining peace my way, and you know what? I think I've been wrong about what peace is all about. I, I, I know it, and I need Jesus' peace, that kind of peace. Would you pray for me? And you just slip your hand up right now, and I'll pray for you as well. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Many hands. Thank you. Praise God. Father, You are here today. You dwell in the midst of your people. In fact, we are your temple. But there's a day when that dwelling will be made forever and will be forever back into your presence all because of Jesus. My prayer is for those who raise their hand. They don't have that confidence that they have a home in heaven. I pray that today that you would move by Holy Spirit to bring them to a place of brokenness and repentance. Only you can regenerate. Only you can give life where there is death and light where there is darkness. Only you can take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. And I pray that for your glory, you would do that. I also pray for the hands that were raised who need to be shocked back to have their spiritual heart beating again for Jesus, that he is here, he is here, and he offers his peace. Father, may they accept your peace on your terms that they might reflect your glory back to you even in their worst case scenario. And we'll praise you for these rich blessings for Christ's sake, amen.